0: Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the dog bible, everything your dog wants you to know, as well as the cat bible, everything your cat expects you to know. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show, broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island where it is broadcast continuously for 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. I'm also the founder and director of the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which travels the country supporting local animal welfare groups after a New York City premiere every October, alongside my annual New York Cat Film Festival brought to you by Dr. Elsie's. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show was also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their cats. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, no hide, and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaran or Maisie will eat. It is so nice to have Grant Hader Menzies back on the show with a book that is about dogs. This man has written some of the most marvelous books about other animals as well as others about dogs. But this one is totally about his heart dog, Freddie, the rescue dog who rescued me. Grant, with all the extraordinary books you've written and and one that really stood out for me enormously was Dorothy Brooke and the Fight to Save Cairo's Lost War Horses was a book that just gives me chills remembering it and thinking about how good you are at finding a historical nugget and making an entire tale around it, digging in every direction. It's like you tunnel in 360 degrees and you find every speck of information and facts and emotion when you when you dig up any of the you've written some other good books that we'll talk about but freddie is so personal did you wait till you got to a certain point in your life to to think i should write about me and my life and my dogs or was it just freddie is who made this happen
1: well, I had kept a diary of Freddie's uh, year dealing with cancer, 2020, 2021. I, um, I wanted to record as much of him as I could. I, I've been keeping di- or journals all of my life, but I wanted something special to record his journey, and we didn't know how long it would be. Right. And then when it turned out, he was able to... Uh, he survived surgery. He had... Um, go back a bit, he had uh, hemangiosarcoma, which is a, a, an extremely aggressive uh, vascular cancer that usually gives a, a dog just a few weeks or maybe a month or so to live. And Freddie was then about 13 and he also had a, a severe heart murmur And but uh, he really wanted to live. <laughs> and uh, this was to be, of course, this was to be a characteristic of him right up to the last moments of his life. Right. So we, uh, uh, we went ahead with uh, surgery, he aced that, then we, we decided he was, he, we might as well try chemotherapy. He went through three months of that, came out the other end perfectly fine, and with the hemangiosarcoma in remission, and basically he stayed in remission from it until he died a year and three months later, which is quite unusual. Um, he uh he ended up uh, in summer of 2021 uh being um diagnosed with lymphoma and that meant uh we would try another another course of chemotherapy he was seemed strong enough but his heart is what what right. uh ultimately his heart gave out yes. um and i go through even last night i was going through my mind did we do the right thing and um, he so much wanted to live, as I said, he wanted to live right up to the last moments of his life and that's why we thought, let's let's wait, let's wait, let's take him in and then but the, the specialist at the hospital said he he there's no more time left. there's no more time left. you better this better for him to say goodbye now. So that's what we did on October 25th of um, 2021. And after that, yes it was difficult to, even look at his picture, um, we, uh, uh, but, you know, I began reading through the diary I'd kept as a form of, of processing my grief. Right. And I thought this, this, this story besides the, the, aside from the fact that it's about a wonderful little rescue dog who changed my life, changed the course of my career, he, it might help other people who are facing the same issues, so I began putting it together. Uh, I'm not used to or accustomed to or comfortable with writing about myself. But that's why I asked, because,
0: to... yeah, you're you're very yeah. much the biographer of of other animals, other people, <laughs> other times in history, like World War One. That's where Grant's really comfortable. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> the fact that you became so personal in the book, and by the way, we don't want to depict the book as being, oh, my God, it's all about this darling dog's You know, dying year. It's really about the the moment that he came into your life, and and you saw this guy who was so traumatized from being a puppy mill dog that was a neglected, just a cool looking dog. I have to say, the kind of dog you would buy if you were going to buy the cutest looking dog. But he was really traumatized, and I think it seems to me in reading it that you kept being in this state of astonishment that with the love of you and your then husband and then your next partner, he blossomed, he flourished, he became a bigger spirit than ever you had a dog be. And and I think your state of wonder at that is so touching because I think we know that well, dogs bounce back. They, not all, they do. but the ones they do. who do take our and, breath away, right?
1: Yeah. And there's a deep, a deep uh, vein of compassion in almost every dog I've ever met. Um, I was just telling a friend yesterday about the time uh, we went to visit a, a friend who was um, near death in a, a hospice nearby here. Um, Bob had prostate cancer and was in extreme pain. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't give him more of anything to stop it. And, and the uh, the therapy, hormone therapy he was receiving made, made him very emotional. When we walked in, it was like, uh, just before – just after Christmas and he was crying in his bed. Freddie, without any prompting, jumped up on the bed and nestled in Bob's lap. And of course we moved to pull him away thinking, That's my God, that's where right. all the pain is. Right. But Bob Bob leaned back, smiling and no longer crying, and he said, Leave him be, this is heaven. Wow. And I mean he just he Freddie knew. just had yeah. a, he knew and, and I relate several more stories in the book. He just had this a uh, preternatural uh, gift of knowing, knowing when he was needed and knowing what to do. Um, a lot of a lot of animals have that. I think almost all animals, because they live in the now. They don't live. They're not worried about the past. They're not worried about the future. Um, they live in the just the what I call the wonderful now. And um, yeah, so well, uh, I I
0: think the the I, thing that that <laughs> most tickles me about the book is that you start out saying this little dog and how he came into our life and at the SPCA, and within like seven sentences, you're off on some fascinating tangent. You must be the world's best dinner conversationalist. You're like, oh, yes, the time I met Queen Elizabeth. And then there's this whole thing. I'm not saying Queen Elizabeth's in the book, but it's really like being with this person who's just so eclectic and you seem to either have an extraordinary, endless depth of knowledge about Almost everything, or you are the world's most tenacious researcher because when you hear somebody tell you something or you learn about something, do you immediately go to what in the olden days was the Encyclopedia Britannica and now is of course the internet or maybe your own library? Do yeah. you look everything up yeah. and learn about it and then kind of absorb it into your into your cerebellum? Um,
1: this because this came straight out of me and it it's just it it's just. Uh, it, it's just Came out of me. I didn't look anything up other than following the course of of the diary I kept, and also the diary, the diaries over the years where I, I wrote about Freddie. You know, whatever he did that astonished us um, and and inspired us, um, including his couple of incidents of chasing burglars out of our garden and out of one out of our house. Um, but and he weighed uh, how much? He, like
0: ten pounds?
1: He weighed about. Uh, 15 pounds at that time and this is the thing we didn't hear these people creeping around either time but he did Yeah, and this little dog ran right at them he ran at I mean he wasn't afraid he he went from you know like I mentioned in the book and when we first brought him home he sat in the corner of the kitchen yes, and just with his head on and just shook mm-hmm. uh, from fear like what else is going to happen to me in my year or so of life and um, he went from that to being uh, an absolutely courageous little little fellow and um and you're so right to say he astonished us all the time because he did um but um, but yeah, um I just things came out of me you know if when we I talk about animals, of course, it reminds me of my family of my ancestors who had pets that they loved and told me about. Uh, pictures of them that I have um, um, a tradition of loving dogs in my German grandmother's family yes. um, but you go into but, my, you, my, but you
0: but you go into this history <laughs> so deeply and so specifically and it's like <clears throat> we go forward in time we go backward in time we go to other countries we go to other dogs and it's all reflected off of Freddie but it's this deep sense yeah. of your history with animals
1: yes <laughs> yes and it was I mean i was brought up in a with a you know with a zoo basically we had every conceivable animal you know from a pony to you know hermit hermit crabs to um to birds fish um cats my guinea pigs everything um and dogs of course always dogs and, and they all uh, find their way in par- here well yeah and it, it's my parents taught us <laughs> to take seriously um and uh, that's what I've tried to do in my books. Uh, any of my books about animals. I mean, I wouldn't. I, I started writing about an individual animal because I, I, wanted to take them seriously and their, their influence on those around them in their lifetime, um, and so uh, and and then so I, I basically turned that lens onto, onto Freddie. Writing the book itself was a form of dealing with the grief. Um, we we both still Rudy and I both still have. Um, times when we suddenly fall down a, a pit of, of really grief. It's, wow! It's um, he was unforgettable, and even though we have a, a, a wonderful new adoptee, uh, Nico, who uh, came to us um, um, strangely enough uh, a year to the day after Freddie left us, um, uh, w- you know, Nico's helping us helping us process it as well. Um, And uh, he also came out of a puppy mill situation. And what we learned from Freddie is proving invaluable in how to uh, teach Nico um, not to be afraid. I mean, not not to live in fear. Right. You you don't really have to
0: teach that. You just show by example. You just are these generous, gentle people uh, who just accept uh, him on his terms.
1: That's right. I mean, I... As I say in my book about Emily Carr's monkey Wu, um, fear is the enemy of art. It's the it's the enemy of creativity. It's the enemy of um, love. It's it's just, it, And once you once you dispense with it, you I feel like you're really living. But I I feel like that's something animals can teach us. Um, well, you and you've, uh,
0: and you've written quite extraordinary books about different animals. Talk about Wu, the monkey who inspired Emily Carr. For a minute. I mean, that's a a, a marvelous book because nowadays, not so much then, but nowadays it's considered very inappropriate to have a monkey as a pet. And yet people used to have them and have really good relationships with them the way perhaps people you might say today have good relationships with a parrot. And one could say, well, you shouldn't own a parrot. I have a new show called Exotic Pets, so I'm more tuned
1: into this kind of Uh, thing.
0: Talk a little bit about that monkey and that book and that relationship.
1: Well, so Emily Carr is uh, an artist uh, who, uh, born in the 1870s here in in, um, Victoria, BC, on Vancouver Island, um, to a a well-to-do family who didn't really think she should pursue art. Uh, She did so, but she, um, she probably one of the best educated Canadian artists of her day, but she couldn't find her voice. She she had trouble finding what what who am I supposed to be and how come I can't get it out on the canvas mm-hmm. and I, I I I posit the the suggestion that by bringing a a monkey into her into her life into her studio, uh, Carr actually freed up uh, freed herself up from a lot of the fears uh, of spontaneity, the fears of what people might think that I think we're holding her back. Um, some scholars have, have questioned and pooh-poohed that, but that, I mean, I wasn't writing a scholarly book. I was writing about... Yeah, but
0: I just uh, want to say about- that I think that the way that you write about people and animals, and you've written several of these books, and Muggins, The First World War Dog, I think it's great that as an animal-passionate author, very well-educated yourself, very knowledgeable, that coming up with theories is half the reason to write a biography. Yeah right? It's to say, it is. It is. I wonder what this can tell us about, I don't know, people who are, let's say, somewhere on the autism spectrum, or people that have yeah. all kinds of stuckness, whether it's artistic or yeah. professional. Yep. You know, we're not saying a monkey yep. is the doctor's prescription, but certainly animals are. I love that you that that's your attitude. The heck with the scholars.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. <laughs> um, I the problem with, with Wu, of course, is that um, her very monkeyness uh, is what led to her um, sad end. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Carr was ill, uh, her family convinced her to give away her animals. She couldn't, they said she couldn't look after her anymore. She lived for several more years after that, but um, and but nobody wanted to take Wu, so Carr only had one choice that she could think of, and that was the, um, the keeper of the Monkey House in Stanley Park in Vancouver. So Little Wu was put in a crate and shipped across the strait to Vancouver, put in the monkey house. They apparently tried her in a cage with other monkeys. She didn't know she was a monkey. Of course not. She didn't know. And so they finally put her in her own separate cage. And sad to say, uh, that's where she died a year later, uh, by herself, never having seen Carr again. And... um, Had she been a dog or a cat or even an exotic parrot, which, which Carr had, um, a home could have easily been found for her, but because she was a monkey, um, and only, only Carr recognized her, uh, her, uh, beingness, (laughs) only Carr, only Carr, personhood, um, nobody wanted her and she ended up on display to the public. Um, it's, it's heartbreaking, uh, Uh, And Freddie, the reason I I even found out about that was because we, Rudy and Freddie and I, lived near Stanley Park at the time. And uh, Freddie... And Freddie took you there. Yeah, to the Rose Garden. And um, that's where the monkey house was. And I thought... What, is, what was here before, and that's that really—that's what I mean about kind of that's
0: what I mean about your curiosity, yeah. Grant. We have run out of time, but this book is so full of tales, wonderful tales of people and places, and and many different dogs and other animals, and of course, mostly about Freddie, the rescue dog who rescued me. Grant Hader Menzies, wonderful book. You're a wonderful writer. Keep coming up with theories and keep writing books about animals. <laughs> we love them. Thanks for being here. Thank, thank you. I hope you enjoyed the show. There's a few more special companies that make the show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. I want to thank Wonderside, founded by a woman entrepreneur who discovered an effective natural way of using plant-powered products to repel fleas, ticks, and other parasites on our pets instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes it possible to protect your pets, children, and property without the chemicals that could be harmful to all of us. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and answer only to their own high standards finally, were supported by Magic Fabric Pet Throws, developed by a husband-wife team whose expertise in the textile industry solved the problem of their big, hairy dog, Molly, who got on the couch in bed with them, despite her wet fur, muddy paws, and shedding. Sound familiar? They created machine-washable Magic Fabric Pet Throws to trap pet hair, dirt, and moisture, letting you enjoy dog and cat cuddle time without sacrificing your clothes, furniture, or decor. You can buy direct from the creators at magicfabric.com.